Welcome to Diggin' the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Well, good morning, John. Hello, Doug. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you again. Yes, it's been a long time. <laughs> like about 15 minutes. <laughs> it's been quite a while. <laughs> but hey, that's podcast land. Podcast time. Yep. You know, it's like a different kind of time. It is, Speaking yeah. Speaking of which. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the present <laughs> right now. <laughs> We're talking about the present moment. And we're recording this in the present moment, but you are listening to it at a different moment. But what is the present moment anyway? And but you're listening to it the present. You're, you're listening to it at the present moment, aren't you? I mean, <laughs> that's true. It's <laughs> a different to present it right moment. now. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah. So I think this this discussion on what a present moment, what the present moment is, is there a present moment? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a it's a really fun topic, and it's made some people rich actually. Um, Oh. I, well, you know, the I, power of now. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> um, that, uh, that was a very successful book. It was. Um, and it wasn't really anything that new, but it was a new way of putting, looking at it, I suppose. I never read the book. I was, I was, given, to, I was given a copy by a, uh, a doctor of mine, actually, who was a big fan of, of it. Um, Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle. And he gave me a key. He said, hey, you should read this. I guess. So I, I read like a few pages, but... You know, it sort of, it, you know, it seemed all right, but I didn't. I never continued more more than about three or four pages into it, so I probably missed the whole point of it. Yeah, because we always talk about it, and I certainly, when I got practices, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't know that I I use that phrase very often, mm. you know. But I'll but I'll certainly use something like you know what's here right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and what may be here right now are thoughts about some other time, mm-hmm. you know, future or past. Sure. Um, but that's not what's true right now. So it's really about what's true. But what is this present moment that we consider the present moment? Mm. And as George Carlin would say, was it just that? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's right. got a whole where thing about yep. where to go. And yep. um, it's always here. Yeah. And it never left. <laughs> Really, I mean, it, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, you know, what is actually experienced moment to moment? And that's where it gets kind of interesting. Yeah, and when you try to pin it down philosophically, it gets very complicated. Yeah, so we'll, we'll avoid most of that, I suspect. But <laughs> no, but that's what I love. <laughs> okay, well, you, you can talk about that. The, but, you know, it's just like every moment, and this, is, this was the sort of pre-discussion we were having about mind moments, mm, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. I mean, every moment something is happening. Every moment that we are breathing, something is happening. I know in the MBSR curriculum, we divide that into three things. We divide it into something is happening in the body, something is happening in the emotional mind, and something is happening in the thought realm. Mm. So these things are always going on. We don't necessarily know it or, or attend to it, but if we were truly mindful, you know, all the time, we would be aware of this. And, and often, you know, one is much more powerful than the other, obviously, but it's always going on. You know, do we divide it into like, you know, how small is that mind moment? And Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's what, that's what you were talking about earlier. You know, this idea of dividing moments and which is 
an interesting way of looking at it. But, but the fact of the matter is that in every moment we are aware and alive, or this manifestation of me is alive, something is happening. In a way, the present moment is always here. It's, 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 it's really the end of time, as, as is, is stated in certain later traditions. You know, it's, it's not, uh, eternity is not a continuum of time. Eternity is the end is of now. time, mm. is now. Mm. And everything is happening now. And that's the way it's always been. But we don't live that way, right, in, in the, the relative world. We live on a continuum of time, even though that time is always now. And that's where the philosophical side of it. But it's actually, you know, when you, when you actually start to see things and you turn the lens in that way, it does change the way we live. And yeah, I, I mean, that's what's so important. So many ways to, to sort of picture time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, one of the ways you were just mentioning is this idea of, mind moments this uh, yeah this idea from actually from later buddhism that uh, that that time could be separated into little moments uh, these kind of atomic little pieces of time that we that are just sort of the smallest bits of time that we're aware of and in in the theravada tradition from from buddhaghosa there are 17 mind moments <laughs> in every material moment so that you know as material things uh, change slower than the mind. The mind sort of goes very rapidly, and and, and there's a particular series of seventeen that happens. I'm not going to go through them all because I don't even <laughs> remember them all. But but it, it, you know they're quite complicated. This kind of uh, a sort of I will say somewhat scholastic tradition uh, from later Buddhism to try to you know understand all this. You know our friend Andy Alinsky gets into that a lot of that stuff. We'll have to have him on to talk about it. We should. We should. Um. But I mean, from a philosophical point of view, it's, you know, when I was in graduate school, you know, people were talking things about the, the, the phrase was the specious present, because there's this idea of the present as being like a, the knife edge between the, 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 the past and the future, this, this, this instant of time, which is right now, mm. which is kind of the way we think of it in a way. But, you know, then all of the information that we're getting from the world, from our senses, which is all the way we know about now, is from information from a, a millisecond ago. Right. You know, um, it's not from the present, it's from the past, very recent past, but from the past. So, we never really know now because we're always living, you know, a quarter of a second in the past, I mean, or a tenth of a second in the past. Um, and so this, there's this idea, philosophical idea of the specious present, this uh, this this idea of the present, which is not really present. It's it's something else. If, insofar as there is a present, we're sort of not ever there. <laughs> right, or it's always here. Yeah, that's you yeah. Know, but we never like, know about it. All right. the things we know about are things that are from the past. Right, but you know, and and then there's T. S. Eliot talks about you know. Time present, time past, and and basically mm. it's all time. Mm-hmm. But you know there is no time. There really is no past or present. It's just all present or all this moment, mm-hmm. and we experience it in a different way. And as a result of experiencing it, if we only experience it in that way, like oh that happened yesterday or it's going to happen tomorrow, you know, then we set ourselves up for some level of suffering down the road. Mm. Whereas if we recognize that in the absolute reality, as opposed to the relative reality, 
you know, it's all here all the time. Or some would say nothing is here any of the time. You know, this doesn't really matter. It's like, it's, it's, this is, this is it. This moment is it. And I think what's important in, in practice on many levels is the way I often instruct is to sort of, the, the, you know, we always talk about the breath and, and attending to the breath. Well, to me, the breath is a reminder to be alive, the, to be fully present because it's the only life I have at this moment is this breath. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there'll be a next breath, you know, but this is it. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay. So then it's like everything that's here in front of me is here in this moment, but this moment is timeless <laughs> or without time. You know, we could see it that way. So it's, it's, and, and in that moment when, when we actually have that experience of timelessness, the end of time, I suppose, there's freedom. That's a momentary experience. Of, I'm sorry, maybe I shouldn't use that word, but that's that's a uh, that's an experience of freedom, mm. and it's important to recognize those moments when they happen. Mm. And in a sense, everything else is imagined, <laughs> you know, and so so or dreamed, you know. And I, I know that you know there are various teachings that that that's. I mean, the Vasubandhu teaching or the Yogacara teaching about around the imagined nature and the fully realized nature and the conditioned nature, mm. you know, that's sort of, you know, this, this moment to moment life that we're imagining or we're imagining life moment to moment, essentially at some point, you know, there's a full realization, at least momentarily where that drops away altogether or the notion that is, I think Joseph Goldstein would say, you know, we are dreaming ourselves into existence at every moment. And then there's row, row, row your boat, right? Life is but a dream. Ah, and yeah. it's like, so it's like we have Yeah, this, but there are other people out there too. Uh, of course. You have to be careful not to take that too literally. But yes. Yeah. yeah, well, we're all dreaming. But, you know, we're, we're sort of, the, these dreams are interacting. I mean, that could yeah. be one way of seeing it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we have to get, you know, hopefully, I think... Norman Fisher would say, has said, you know, well, at least have a good dream, make it a good dream, you know, <laughs> and that's true. And how do we make it a good dream? I mean, it, we, we, in this moment, you know, we make sure that for starters, that we're living ethically, you know, we're living honestly, mm-hmm. authentically, and, and that creates a, a, a good dream in this moment. I mean, that's, this is just a, you know, a way of, of speaking about mm-hmm. this linear existence that we have every day. Well, memories, memory yeah. is so important. I mean, mm-hmm. memory is so important to life. And that's part of this sort of linear existence is that we we're always, I mean, we've talked before about the the role of memory mm-hmm. potentially anyway in in mindfulness practice and uh, as as well as there being recollection practices within Buddhism um, and all of those sort of involve an idea of the past, yeah. um, of, of ideas that we may not be experiencing right now, but we can bring to mind uh, as a beneficial kind of way of focusing ourselves. One of the other sort of paradoxes, I think, of the present moment has to do with memory, and that is that uh, one of, I think, our most salient experiences of the present that the Buddha would talk about is the experience of change, Mm. that all things change, and we experience that change in the present. The problem the paradox is that the, the present is a single instant, 
And in an instant, there is no change. You need, in order for there to be change, you need at least two instances. You need something to, 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 to be different from one time to another. And so, in order to experience change, you have to have that little tiny bit of memory to remember the way it was an instant ago and the way it is right now. And so, it's this process in the present moment of, of sort of um, uh, comparing a, a memory that's just very re recent to what you're seeing or what you're experiencing right now and being able to say, ah, that's change. So, you know, our experience of change is, is necessarily an experience of memory that involves memory. Mm. Um, and this is one of the sort of, inter I think, fascinating sort of philosophical paradoxes right. of, of present experience, because we think it's ex direct experience. Well, it's not. I mean, yes, it is, but it's also not. I mean, it's a direct experience of change. But if you think about it, that experience has to involve memory as well. Right. But if, if, we, if we think of, if we drop the notion of momentariness, mm. then the change is simply happening. Yeah. Always, right? Mm -hmm. and it, it, so it's not a question of, it. oh, we had to have the memory of the last moment in order to see it. Well, it's just happening. It's just happening. But I'm, what I'm saying is that that awareness has to come from at least some memory of the past to be able to make the comparison to say there's sure. a change here. Yeah. Uh, um, if you were if, literally living in the present, if you were right. literally only in the present, you wouldn't know about change because all you right. would know is right what's right here, you know? Um, unless, unless we drop the notion of past and present and future, mm. in, which, in which case it's always right here and it's always changing. But and, you wouldn't and, know that. All you would know is <laughs> this is the way things are. Right. And, you know, yeah. Things are green now and things are red now and things are yellow yeah. now, but you wouldn't right. know there was any change because you wouldn't be able to compare it to anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I suppose one could look at it that way. I'm just I'm I'm kind of taking that and saying if 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 there's just this flow of experience, mm. right? memory is part of that flow of experience. Ah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's not like it's a memory. It's just this being aware of the flow of experience, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, and, and so it's mm -hmm. opening in that way. Um, yep. Just as you were talking, I've lost a thought. Um, it happened in the past and now it's gone. <laughs> um, you know, so, so we live on a certain level. We live in clock time. You know, at least in this society, right? Everything runs on on clock time, and it's actually gotten worse because we, you know, we have digital clocks now, and we're all sort of on the same time. Mm -hmm. And of course, in even a hundred years ago, well, a little more than a hundred years ago, everybody was on different times. Uh, you know, and there's still places in the world that are. I mean, obviously, we have you know time zones, but even within time zones. <laughs> It's like 200 years ago, there was just like, there wasn't a consistent time. So what was time in the first place? The only thing that, you know, brought it together were trains, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, I got to know when the train is coming. And that depends on where, what time it left the other place, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like, and, and so, you know, we've, so we've got that level of reality of, of this kind of relative sense of, yeah, well, train's coming now, you know, I better be there. Um, right. Well, but I mean, that's the 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 rapidity of our our being able to move from one place to another made it ne necessary for us to all to have the same clocks, basically. Right. Yeah. But in the in the Buddha's day, you know, the the fastest you could go was 
on foot or well on a, maybe on a horse. And so right. it didn't really matter what, you know, other people's time was. Right. because People weren't so concerned about yeah. it. And uh, what is interesting, though, is, is uh, and people talk about this, you know, who, who first come into contact with, with meditation and, and mindfulness, actually, is that it seems that time slows down mm-hmm. because there's more space. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we've created a more space. We've, we've, I wouldn't even say we've created more space. We've experienced the space that's always been there. And in experiencing that space that's always been there, we see things more clearly mm-hmm. and we see the unfolding in a different way. Uh, and nothing actually slows down per se, except the way the way we process, I suppose. But but that doesn't really slow th- you know, time wise it doesn't slow down. It just well, feels I mean that it's way. yeah, it's the it's our subjective experience of time. Right. Sort of dilates in a sense. Um mm, mm. so we can get Good way a to put it. Yeah. Closer view, you know, sort of like using a I think people have described it sort of like using a microscope or something like that, you know, a magnifying glass so that you can see in more detail uh, what you know, your eye was sort of going over before, um, mm. uh, and I, I, yeah, I certainly do see that, and I think there's, I mean, that's one of the, I mean, uh, most powerful aspects of of mindfulness meditation when you can get when you can get there, you know, is to be able to see the you know the arising of certain kinds of mental states, mm-hmm. you know, maybe where they're coming from, you know, it gives you a sort of a more of an insight into how all this is, you know, working in the present because you're seeing, you know, okay, oh, you know, this is, this is coming from that, this, you know, this feeling is coming from there. That can be, that can be very powerful. And that is slowing things down because, you know, in ordinary life, you just sort of, it happens relatively quickly. And so you don't even pay attention to it. Right. Right. It's not slowing the actual thing. I mean, it's not. (laughs) Right. It's just that we're seeing more clearly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, mm-hmm. and I mean, that's really the basis of insight meditation, mm-hmm. seeing more clearly and, and seeing clearly what's really true mm-hmm. um, and, and seeing these arisings and fading away. And, and we see them individually. We see them in our, our own individual, mo- uh, quote, mind moments of, of body sensations, emotional sensations, thought sensations. Mm-hmm. And when that's seen in in our own experience, then there's a recognition that others are having, you know, the same thing is going on for everybody. Mm-hmm. They don't see it necessarily. Everybody doesn't see it, but something shifts in the way we respond to people as well. And it's interesting because you know, it's related to our prior recording of around why speech, you know, when, when we actually are aware of this, and and have experienced it, it impacts everything else, including our speech. Mm. You know, because we're we're not the 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 space of time, and I put that in time in quotes, is gives a that space gives us an opportunity to respond more appropriately and more authentically and more truthfully. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was just reactive. And so we're basically creating, you know, as we practice, this sense of time changes. Mm. Um, and the experience of, quote, the present moment shifts. Right. It's the, I, I was reminded of, 
that quote that's been attributed to, oh, I've forgotten his name, that there's this the gap between stimulus and response. Yeah, Victor um, Frankel. Yeah, apparently he didn't, at least when I was looking that up, it seems like he didn't actually is. say it, um, or at least there's nowhere that they, people can find that he said it. But there are a number but of anyway. quotes going around like that, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, that there's this... He could have it, said it. He could have said it. Maybe he did say it, <laughs> for all I know. Um, but in any event, that yeah, it's absolutely that it's this kind of, by slowing things down in a sense, at least perceptually speaking, it, it does open up that possibility for giving yourself space to to wait before making a response. And I think that's, yeah, that's one of the most powerful things in, in, in mindfulness practice when we can tap into that in our daily life, especially. I mean, of course, it's one thing on the, on the cushion, of course, yeah. but yeah. another thing when we're actually... That's, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the whole point, really, yeah. is, is, you know, we, we, we can experience it on the cushion, but the important part is bringing it into how we live. Yeah. And, you know, I think those, those moments where we can let the sense of time our sense of time, our habitual sense of time fall away, mm. something really changes in our moment-to-moment experience. You know, that's, in many ways, I mean, that is why we practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it, it just changes our behavior, it changes our relational our relational practice, or it turns relations into a practice almost. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because we start to see how often we get in our own way, essentially, and time gets in our way, mm-hmm. or our sense of time gets in the way. So if we're, you know, if we're, so we're, we're not coming to a conclusion here on the present moment because you know that's, a, uh, <laughs> but but it is <clears throat> this idea that I mean, for me anyway, it's all the present moment. <laughs> it's always the present moment, mm. and but the present moment is without time, <laughs> and then of course I have to live by the clock. <laughs> so it's like oh. Yeah, I have something to do in 40 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and I need to get ready for it. So it's like, that's the clock. That's me looking at the clock on the computer screen and saying, oh, yeah. And I know that my clock says the same thing that your clock says because that's the way we live these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, fascinating. And 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 uh, I have to say in, in the history of Buddhism, very, very important. I mean, there were lots of disagreements. The most important, the Sarvastivadin school, early school that held that the both and the name of the school, Sarvastivadin, um, everything exists. That that both past and future exist as real things. Um, that was part of what made the school what it was. Yeah. Uh, in order to back up the idea that karma was efficient and, and effective, uh, because there must be a real future and a real past in order to make those true. And of course, other schools disagreeing. So you know, it's a big. It was a big topic, and you know, I'm. Sure, it still is in some sense. Some, <laughs> no doubt. Anyway, I think we're out of time. Yeah, to speak. <laughs> okay. Yeah, got to keep an eye on the yeah. clock, right? <laughs> well, we hope this has been interesting. It's a never-ending discussion. Actually, it's one of mm-hmm. those fun topics that we will no doubt come back to. And and one of the one of the things that we can use as an alarm clock in the morning is a <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that. Yes. Of course. Yeah. So uh, if you're so moved. Uh, and have the time, uh, you can go to our website, com. leave some comments. Mm-hmm. Help us maybe, wake up tomorrow. Yeah, and maybe buy us a coffee. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I'll be taking, well, we'll we may be able to get caught up. I'll be on retreat, leading a retreat uh, the week of the 5th. So uh, I think these this podcast will take us beyond that. But if not, 
you know why. <laughs> so, all right. Great to see you, John. Take care, Doug. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at digginthedharma.com where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net and Doug at dougsdharma.com. 